Okay, um, we're at the readings now, which is me again. We're reading this morning from 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 10 to 4.5. Okay. Now you have observed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my suffering, the things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, but wicked people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message be persistent whether the time is favourable or unfavourable. Convince, rebuke and encourage with the utmost post-patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, doctrine but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist and carry out your ministry fully. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, I pray that the words that flow from our mouth might make sense because they are inspired by your Holy Spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're getting towards the end of our series on 1 and 2 Timothy. Um, one more week to go, if you're counting um, whether you like it or not, whether you realise it or not, we are living in a clickbait world. If you haven't heard the term clickbait before, it generally refers to something like a headline designed to make readers want to clink, click on a hyperlink, especially when that link leads to content of dubious value or interest least according to Webster's Dictionary Online. Journalists uh, seem to be becoming more like advertisers, seeking out quotes, summaries, or interpretations of the world's events, and trying to construct them in a way that gets us to click on, pay attention to, or even better, to circulate their version of news. I've had some insight into this world uh, with one of my school friends being a producer on breakfast television. Part of his role is to write the headlines as well as the text that goes along the bottom of the screens during uh, the show. He'll sometimes post to our WhatsApp group headlines that he's thinking humorously about running. But he normally ends up running 
something that's a little bit more sensible. But recently, the show found itself in the headlines because of an inappropriate headline that he probably should have left in our WhatsApp group. But it made me wonder, if we only heard, read or saw the headlines of today's world, how accurately would it reflect what's actually going on in our world? If we look no further than the headlines in our search for truth, how would we begin to behave in this world? 2 Timothy 3.16 has become a little bit like the clickbait of this letter. All scripture is inspired by God are words that have launched thousands of theological arguments. And that's just within the church. Uttering these words alone would have some cheering and others preparing to assemble a lynch mob. If the world only hears the headlines, the controversy, the arguments, the cliches and the platitudes coming from the church, what would encourage them to look further or deeper? Or on what would they be able to build a relationship on? And where would they find good news? In the same way, when we become informed beyond the headlines, we often find a different story. My hope is today that we might become more informed about Scripture and how we are able to use and share it. Scripture, which I claimed last week, was in fact good news. I should qualify at the beginning of today's message that Not everything that is good is actually pleasant or easy or nice or sweet. In fact, many things that seem pleasant, easy, nice and sweet actually end up being incredibly bad for us. Byron Bay Chocolate Company produce honeycomb moon rocks. They are amazingly good, in one sense of the word. But eating a whole jar in two sittings by myself, which I may or may not have done in the last couple of days for sermon illustration purposes only, of course, may not exactly have been the best thing for me, which will probably mean that I'll have to do something that in the first instance is unpleasant, like going to the gym or eating less or better food or maybe even something like kale. (laughs) For it not to have a negative impact on my body. It says 1,720 kilojoules for every 100 grams. Yeah, it's a meal in itself. There is much in the Bible that I personally find difficult, challenging and disagreeable. 
but I still believe it is all good news. To dismiss the bits that I find difficult, challenging and disagreeable without wrestling with them, without trying to understand them more clearly, without seeking the wisdom of others and most importantly, without identifying God at work in and through those passages will always leave me more narrower in my thinking and more shallow in my application. This will have a negative impact on my ability to share good news. I believe there is still something deeply provocative, alarming and attractive to the good news of Scripture. It is different to any other story that is told in our world today. It is life out of real death. It is strength that looks like weakness. It is good news, but not as our world knows, expects or demands. You see, the world that we live in today expects invincibility. But this good news shows and demands vulnerability. Eugene Peterson, um, who put together the translation, the message that many of us uh, have come to love, uh, writes in one of his books, history as told from the place of invincibility is mostly about death. History as told from a place of vulnerability is mostly about life. So let's see if we can find the life that is represented in today's uh, passage that we might be able to share uh, with it uh, and in it in our world. If you look at the Greek uh, for the word inspired, uh, you find this really, really easy word to pronounce, theonoustos, which can literally be understood as something like God breathed, which is better than inspired, has the word God in it. If you have a think about the way that God breathes in the Bible, you're reminded of how creative and life and faith bringing those moments are. In the very beginning of Scripture, we find in Genesis, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. In John's Gospel, we hear that when Jesus had said this, he breathed into them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I take, particularly in this passage, the word theonoustos, or inspired, to be a summary of the way in which God and God's breath work. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world. All scripture is a means by which God can breathe life and faith and hope and love and forgiveness and resurrection into people. Timothy has been written this letter to 
encourage what seems to be quite a difficult situation in that church at the moment. And is encouraged to continue what he learned. But also to be aware of where he learned it. And who he learned it from. It's true that we proclaim the gospel that we know and the gospel that we have experienced and we're experiencing now. Timothy learned his good news. We understand from the letters from Lois, from Eunice, from Paul himself, but also from his wider community of faith. And this letter is encouraging him not just to leave it as that, but in particularly these difficult times that this letter is speaking into, he and we should be recalling, remembering, digging deeper, persisting and persevering. And we should also be applying that good news in our lives. To continue means that we should never stop seeking the good news in Scripture. I believe that this side of heaven will never have the complete answer. The more authentic the good news is, the more authentic our witness will be. I believe the most authentic and real good news that we can ever share is what God is doing in and through us now and what God has just revealed to us. I always love it when somebody comes up to me and says, oh, Stuart, you won't believe what I just realised or you won't believe what just happened to me now. You can see it in their face, in their body language, that this is real. But in our search for something fresh, there is a temptation, particularly in our marketing-driven world, to seek our next revelation from the latest popular thing, the latest self-help guru, even the most popular preacher or religious writer at our time. Whenever we place our faith in the latest bestseller, the most recent podcast or Netflix special or even the next sermon, we will always be waiting for the next new message to come along and save us. Even though we seek the new and the cutting edge, it is God's grace that ultimately satisfies our longings. This is the sound doctrine that is referred to in this letter to Timothy. The good news is that though we wander, though we turn away, though we might from time to time seek other paths, our salvation has been accomplished in the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And Timothy is encouraged to come back to this truth. And so are we. This is the source of our new and our authentic revelation.
the interesting thing is that when you look through Scripture, you'll find that stories of wandering and returning are throughout the Bible. And we can see our lives reflected in these biblical characters. Think of Jacob, that heel grabber. And there's no other way to describe him as anything but a crook. Who through his dirty deals becomes Israel. But he's the one, and if you came to our early service, you got to read the the passage about him wrestling with God and prevailing. If you think of David, when Nathan comes and confronts him on his adultery, once David acknowledges his sin, he's forgiven. There are consequences of his behaviour, but he's given a second chance. If you think of Zacchaeus, that small little tax collector who was condemned by his community as a greedy money grabber, but recognised by Jesus for his eventual generosity. If you think of the woman at the well who has five husbands, but Jesus sees in her a hunger and a thirst for living water. What about one of my favourite people in the New Testament, Peter, who acts like the bravest, bravest of disciples, but denies Jesus at the moment of the cross. But Jesus still takes the risk. Peter becomes the rock upon what the church has been built on. Jesus is able to see potential in people that we might not see in ourselves. Jesus sees potential in us that we don't see in ourselves. Now, none of these stories that I've mentioned are easy or simple. But from them, we do see good news. And the reality of the lives that we have lived and are living is that none of our stories are easy or simple. But we can become good news when we apply the good news we see in Scripture in our lives and our experiences. The purpose of Scripture, this good news is, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. The purpose of Scripture is for us and for our good works. It's not to hold it up against someone and say, oh, let me throw a verse at you and I'll prove that you're wrong. The good news is demonstrated in our good work and our just living. Any doctrine of scripture, whatever you want to call it, conservative, progressive, high, low, strict, loose, evangelical or liberal, is only as good as how Scripture functions within that doctrine. Does it function to bring life? Does it function to pass on a faith? Does it function to heal as opposed to destroy? Does it demonstrate justice? Do we see good news? A.J. Jacobs um, 
is a self-professed secular Jew. And he wrote a really interesting book, uh, A Year of Living Biblically, where he spent a whole year of his life living as was instructed in what we know as the Old Testament. At the end of his experience, he wrote these words. Studying the Bible is not like studying sumo wrestling in Japan. It's more like wrestling itself. This opponent of mine is sometimes beautiful, sometimes cruel, sometimes ancient, sometimes crazily relevant. I can't get a handle on it. I'm outmatched. The Bible is so true that if we allow it, it will read us. We limit it and we contort it if we just use Scripture to read others. We should not just read Scripture alone. It comes most fully to life in the experiences of what we're going through now and requires a community of faith to share with, to weep with, and to rejoice with. We are outmatched. But as we read it, we discover that above all, we are outmatched by the love and the grace of God, who has given us his word, and given us Jesus that we might know eternal life here and now and forevermore. And for me, that's good news. Lord, I thank you for your words, both beautiful and challenging. I thank you for your word confronting and comforting. I thank you for the word that is at work in my life, slowly revealing your good news to the world through my actions, for my witness, through my story. Thank you for the way that your word is at work in the people who are gathered here this morning and those who are part of our church community that are not with us. Help us to be more aware of the good news that is present right now, that we might be more able and effective in showing and sharing it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you uh, to stand as we sing together, How Great is Our God.